I'm Femi. And I'm Jessie. And that was Amadou and Marion, two Malian musicians featured on Africa Stop Ebola. You're listening to a Blood Life Uncut podcast, part of the Science Gallery London exhibition and event programme with the same name. In today's podcast, we're listening to West African music and asking... How did music help to combat the Ebola epidemic? You might have heard the song we were just playing before. It was produced by Médecins Sans Frontières an NGO also known as Doctors Without Borders, and had a worldwide release in 2014. Described by some as the Ebola Band-Aid, it was made to raise awareness about Ebola virus globally, and all proceeds from downloads and sales of the song helped to fund MSF's work fighting the Ebola epidemic that had already spread through Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone. The instructive lyrics, Ebola is not good, trust the doctors, are in the major languages of the countries affected by Ebola. But as some people have pointed out, the stars that sell the song are probably better known in Europe and America than in the rural areas affected by Ebola. It's less likely that you've heard the other Ebola music by West African singers including Jimmy B, aka the godfather of entertainment, he even made an Ebola movie, or by Liberian hip-hop artist Shadow, whose track Ebola in Town was the most played song of 2014 in Liberia. The last snippet you heard was from Ebola is Real by the TYB Boys, which was commissioned and produced by Médecins Sans Frontières. MSF recognised the potential for using music and other forms of popular culture as a way of dispelling fears and spreading key messages. We Skyped Yasmin al Kurdi in Brussels, health promotion advisor at MSF, who told us more. Music is attractive, so it can be a teaser. And then from that, you open a discussion and then you can, you know, have a two-way um, communication. What really is important is to open a dialogue with the community. It's really to, to let them express also uh, their fears or their misperceptions or the different beliefs that they have. Ebola first appeared in 1976 simultaneously in South Sudan and in the Democratic Republic of Congo. An outbreak of Ebola virus in 2014 was the largest and most complex since its discovery and had an average case fatality rate of 50%. Starting in Guinea, it quickly spread across the land borders into Sierra Leone and Liberia, drawing the attention of the international community. NGOs from around the world coordinated efforts to provide treatment and aid in the West African countries affected. Yeah, the weird thing about Ebola is that it's, it's rapidly transmissible, but also presumably not that transmissible as well. That was Colin. Colin Brown and Natalie Mounter are both specialists in infectious diseases. Between 2014 and 2016, they joined the King's Sierra Leone Partnership, a King's College London initiative, in Freetown, where they worked in the Ebola isolation unit that had been established in Connaught Hospital. 
a lot of people talk about it as a disease of love, uh, which is kind of really how it transmits. So people, when they get unwell, um, I mean, their blood is highly infectious, but it, bleeding is quite rare. It's difficult to transmit in one sense in that people have to be incredibly unwell for you to get it. It is able to be transmitted quite rapidly when people are caring for for individuals that, that are that are severely unwell. Ebola virus spreads through contact with the bodily fluids of a person who's infected and they have to go in into your body somehow. So it can be any kind of fluid, like it can be blood, um, it could be urine, it could be sweat, it could be saliva, um, it could be feces. And it doesn't have to cu- come from directly from them. Their blood could be on an item and then you could touch that item, like a piece of equipment, for example, or a mattress. And then you could contaminate yourself then, but then it would need to go inside your body. When someone dies of Ebola, what we call the viral load, the amount of infection they have in them is so high that it's killed them. So they're re- so dead bodies are really, really infectious. Sierra Leone and Guinea are majority Muslim countries. As part of funeral tradition in West African Muslim communities, the dead are washed by family members who often use the same water to wash people attending the funeral. Sometimes they also drink this water. Unfortunately, in Ebola, you can't allow that to happen because you can't allow people to have contact with the body so that we weren't able to release the bodies to the families. People were obviously upset that they couldn't see their family members. All they would see is people disappearing into these kind of white tents that they couldn't look into, never coming out. They're, they would die in there with a very high kind of likelihood, so 70% uh, or so at the start. And then the bodies would be taken away and they wouldn't see the, see the grave. So it was felt that people were being sort of kidnapped. And this really, you know proliferated that conspiracy theory of that people are trying to harvest organs and trying to get people's blood and things and that it was all just a lie that Ebola wasn't really real. It really didn't help tensions but also it had to be done to stop Ebola from spreading. So PPE is personal protective equipment. We had certain types of PPE that were used for Ebola, and that was pretty much everything you can possibly wear if you're if you're in that medical setting. So we had um, full kind of body suits, so full kind of plastic suits that covered our legs, our arms, had a hood and covered our heads. Um, we also wore face masks and then eye coverings as well. Um, and then we had boots on um, outside of our suits. And then we had several pairs of gloves on and the top pair of gloves would be a long pair of elbow gloves to cover us completely. We're coming in, in basically dressed like spacemen, um, speaking a foreign language, you know, with um, a white face, um, something they're not used to at all. There definitely was problems in messaging. But I think people quite quickly adapted when they saw a lot of it to, to the realities of Ebola and how transmissible it was. And, you know, the tide turned when the communities themselves stopped caring for people at home, stopped doing things that might lead to high levels of infection. If you see the sounds, if you see the symptoms... So music is absolutely huge. And so they used it as a way... Because a lot of people are illiterate, like, you know, 60% of the, of the people in the country can't read and write. And so a way to get messages out is they used music... And so there's loads of songs that talk about how Ebola is spread, talk about how to keep yourself safe. So they talk about hand washing. Communication is a methodology that we will use in in health promotion, so in prevention, to address messages to people, to raise awareness, and and to put the person in the center of the of the project. Huh? I mean, it's um, 
it's super important, um, but it should not be misunderstood. I mean, communication is not only about uh, developing a nice poster and, 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 and a nice leaflet and distribute it to the people. Um, that's just the first step, but then you should really, as much as possible, have a bilateral communication. So that's why like having these songs that are coming from the local group are um, really relevant because because they are adapted and, and because you involve the population in the answer. With no available medicine or vaccination to control the spread of Ebola, the only way that the epidemic could be combated was through culture changes that would slow the rapid spread of the disease through West Africa and beyond. There was low trust in the local and foreign doctors who were best equipped to treat people who had contracted Ebola without spreading it. On the other hand, popular local musicians were well-placed and trusted influencers who could bring back a reminder of normal life before Ebola. Ebola music took the messages out of the mouths of foreign people in spacesuits and reformed them in familiar words and rhythms. The messages that could save people's lives now played in kitchens and on mobile phones, becoming a part of everyday life. We can't get this music out of our heads. As you go about the rest of your day, what will stick with you more? What we said or the music we played? If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more, search Blood Life Uncut on SoundCloud or iTunes and subscribe. And if you want to share this podcast or join the conversation, we're at SciGalleryLun. And don't forget to use hashtag Blood17. And visit our website, london.sciencegallery.com forward slash blood for more about the Blood Life Uncut programme.